We're ready. Let me open up my notes. There we go. <laughs> <clears throat> hey everyone, welcome back to Navigating Netflix Originals. As always, I'm Madison, and today mm-hmm. I am joined in person by Jamie. That's me. Or rather, Jamie is joined in person by me. Yes, because, that's more accurate. Yes, I am at his place this time. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah, so the last time we were in person, we failed to actually record a podcast. Correct. But we almost failed to record again, but we <laughs> managed to squeeze it in here at the end of my visit. Yes. Um, so t- for this podcast episode, we will be discussing the Netflix original, I guess you would call it a mini-series. A limited, maybe. limited series. Mm-hmm. There's only three episodes, um, called The Principles of Pleasure. Yes. And it's still three hours. So it, it's limited, it's, but it's right. super mini. Right. It's like a long movie yeah. or a short series. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know if any of you have heard of the book, Come As You Are, but the author, Emily, somebody. <laughs> Nagoski, maybe? Emily Nagoski um, is one of the, like... I guess, main creators of this docu-series on Netflix. And it talks mostly about female orgasmic pleasure. Yeah. But, but I feel like it's also very relevant. What would you say it is relevant to a man to also listen to if you have any desire of pleasuring a woman <laughs> in your life? I think that's the thing. I think if you are a guy who's been oblivious to a lot of things or has never thought about the female experience period then that may be i think you would benefit from it yes as someone who's knows mostly women right (laughs) (laughs) i've talked about these things i feel like a lot so right it it wasn't like a surprise to me but yes i think it could be useful yeah i didn't expect most of this to be like new information to you yeah but i feel like there are a lot of men out there who have never considered that the male and female sexual experience is very different and that doesn't make it wrong i have read nearly all of emily's book i'm about three-fourths of the way through it i actually started watching it or reading it rather um before (laughs) the series even came out like it was an unrelated way that i learned about the book um through a different Netflix original series that we watched called Sex Education. Um, One of the characters in it at one point recommends the book to another character. Um, And that was how I was like, hmm, maybe I will read that book. So I I bought it at that point and started reading it. And I didn't know until we started watching The Principles of Pleasure that the author was one of like the main creators of this docuseries. So I was like, oh my God, I have that book with me. Literally, I brought it with me on this vacation to like read. (laughs) So that was exciting and uh, unplanned. (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, Where was I going with that train flop? I'm not sure. But anyways, what did you think (laughs) of the overall series? I mean, yeah, I thought it was, um, I thought it was interesting. It touches on, it's split into the three episodes that focus on the mind, the body, and the relationships. So yeah. it touches on each of those yes. sort of aspects. Starts with the body, then the mind, then relationships. Correct. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting to think of it on the perspective of splitting things out in that way. Because I feel like it, it is kind of hard to separate all of those in a way. Yeah. And like, there's an overlap for sure yeah but um but yeah i mean it was informative yeah i I definitely agree and i think i like the way they broke it up like body mind relationship because i think that's 
how a lot of us initially like learn about sexuality like you start exploring your body first as like a teenager and sometimes even younger than that you start like realizing like oh that felt good (laughs) as you are exploring your body and then like as you become like more in touch with who you are as an individual your mind kind of starts coming into it and then like the aspect of bringing sexuality in with another person in a relationship adds a whole new level of complication and hopefully pleasure as well right. <laughs> when you start integrating everything all together very true um so yeah so let's let's talk about the body all right um and i think that like one of the things that she touches on very heavily in the book a lot of like what like the book obviously is much more extensive than the documentary and she really harps home on a lot of points yeah. a lot harder in the book than than that are just kind of grazed upon in the documentary but one of the things that that she really talks about heavily is how the dominant or the quote unquote correct like interpretation of sexuality is always like culturally and historically from the male perspective right. like that male sexuality is correct and a female sexuality does not is not the same as that, then it's wrong and it's something that needs to be corrected or fixed in right. some capacity. And that's obviously bullshit, but it's something that women have been taught their entire lives and you have to literally unteach yourself all this crap in order to understand your sexuality. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and I think that that has a lot, like, I mean, like that's true for each one of the... The, the body, the mind, and the relationship, but it's like especially true for like the way your body functions because the female body does not function the way the male body does, and the female orgasm is not the way the male orgasm is. Right. Yeah. And it's not something that anybody can ever like really experience both a male and a female orgasm it, to to be able to compare the two. Right. <laughs> um, so we have to. It's like you know, what hurts more, getting kicked in the balls or giving birth? No one can ever say for sure. Yeah. <laughs> But um, they're very different experiences, I right. think, is the answer to both of those. <laughs> right. It's it's interesting, too, because they do mention about how, like, female bodily pleasure is seen as shameful in a lot of ways. But it's kind of interesting that, like, at least in our, in our society, meaning American society, yes. it's kind of like it, any sort of, like, self-pleasure period is seen as pretty shameful yeah like even like you know what I mean? male masturbation is one of those things that we accept or you know understand is happening but it's still not something that is i guess encouraged right exactly yeah. like you'll still be seen as like a perv or whatever if right. you're like a teenager and you're and people find out and it's like you if you like everyone else is doing it too right but yeah, but it's, yeah and it's like if you're if you get walked in on or something right. in the privacy of your own bedroom (laughs) (laughs) it's like that's what you're supposed to be doing it don't make anyone feel shameful for masturbating at home in their bedroom when no one else is around exactly and i'm pretty sure this is i can't remember which episode it was talked about maybe the relationship one but um you know there's a lot of stories of that happening specifically with like parents walking in on children and stuff and then like you can easily instill this sort of idea of shame to be like, ew, like what are you doing, gross? Right. Don't ever do that again, Johnny. Right. Put but, that away. <laughs> but the thing we should be doing is, you know, like acknowledging and then having a talk later to be like, right. maybe you know, lock your door or like. Be, <laughs> but like, be I feel like that's like, not always a possibility. Yeah. I didn't have a lock on my right. door as a yeah. child. I got one 
later as like a late teen, early adult. Because yeah. I stayed, I was, I lived at home until I was 22. So like I did have a lock on my door eventually, but it wasn't something as like a young teenager that right. I had the ability to do. Then on the parents' perspective, they need to learn to knock at least. You and know? then like That's I feel like to learn. my parents had the idea that if they knocked, they could immediately open the right. door. <laughs> like without waiting <laughs> yeah. for any kind of response. Like as I could have like, been in there to like. Get your pants on. Uh, right. Like you could have just been like in there changing. You didn't right. even have to be doing anything tawdry you know like you could have just been changing your clothes and it's like oh shit get out of my room right yeah, that's true that's so i feel true. like as parents they parents have a hard time understanding that your children need privacy too and, right. and you should allow them that space to have privacy and and to utilize that privacy however they see fit right exactly that's true i mean obviously you know don't like if your child doesn't understand like it's especially as like a young kid because i think that some kids do start exploring their body at much younger ages even one of the women in the docuseries talked about how she started masturbating when she was like five or six years old not in like the same way right. i don't imagine that she was having like true orgasms at that point but she was under beginning to understand that her body was like sec like it felt good kind of to like right. to touch herself and i think that that's something that like when we think of a young child touching themselves where our minds automatically go to like that's wrong that shouldn't be happening you know that's something you shouldn't be doing as an adult but when you shame a child even a young child like that for for exploring their body you're like imprinting in them this idea that their body is shameful and right. that is a very hard lesson especially for like to to unlearn if it's something you learn at a young age right I guess is what I'm trying to communicate. <laughs> yes, yes. No, exactly. And then, you know, as a result, then everyone sort of, you know, grows up having these sort of complexes about various issues in their body and stuff, or with their body. Um, and then you have to, like, actively try to come yes. to terms and, yes. and like yourself. And they talk a lot about, um, in the body episode, about how everyone should explore their own body and like be very familiar with it because by doing that you're also not only you know starting to accept yourself as who you are but like also as you move forward into other relationships with people you'll feel more comfortable being like you know this is what i like and that makes everything a little smoother and potentially i imagine less awkward and right stuff right. as you as you go well and it's like i feel like we've all heard this before but it's like absolutely true like if you don't know what you find pleasurable how can you tell a right. potential partner what you enjoy and i think that women especially are taught that what you find pleasurable is what the man does to you no matter what that is like right. you will find pleasure in like penetrative sex without any kind of foreplay or clitoris stimula stimulation you will just you know lie there and spontaneously orgasm when he does <laughs> because that's like what the movies yeah. teach you that is going to happen and spoiler alert that's not what happens <laughs> right yeah and and also they they do talk about like the idea that because you're in a sexual situation your body may react in a certain way but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what you enjoy yes. So you need to take cues from, like, actual communication versus, like, what you assume right. is good because someone may or, be, may or not be wet or hard or right. whatever. Yeah, she, she goes into that idea a lot more in the book than yeah. they do in the documentaries, um, in the docuseries. But it's, like, the idea of, like, physical reaction, which we would refer to as, like, either an erection or getting wet 
versus like an emotional arousal or desire. And they did a big kind of like study to see like what the correlation actually was between physical arousal and actual desire to engage in the sexual activity. Um, and it said that for the correlation of like a woman becoming wet and actually wanting to engage in the sexual activity, it was only about 10%. <laughs> yeah. And for women, it, or for, sorry, for men, it was about 50%, but that's still, that's only half of men. Yeah. <laughs> like that's still not a very large number of men. Um, and so basically like what we, they learned from that study is that the, the physical like reaction is just your body telling you that you are witnessing or experiencing in some cases something that is sexual and your right. body is responding in a evolutionary like re- way to like what what you're how you're supposed to respond or supposed quote unquote right. to, to respond to sex versus an emotional arousal or no emotional desire, which is, well, they can correlate, you know, there, there can, you know, there is overlap in them, but it's not significantly statistic, statistical, no, significantly statistic, statistically significant, that one, holy shit, but yeah, yeah, no, and I, I think they also make a point of talking about how, you know, even things that are seen as overtly sexual, like masturbation, for example, are not always done for sexual purposes. And one of the things they talk about is how they found that, you know, people who orgasm or at least, you know, masturbate may use it for other things such as like stress reduction or to alleviate anxiety or even depression. And one of the women um, was talking about how she had, she was basically conducting a study to see like if they could level the measure uh, measure the level of, either one of us can talk today. i know the level of whatever you know hormone that's released when you're like orgasming is not serotonin but it's something else it's all of them i think <laughs> all of the <laughs> all things. the hormones um and uh because no one had really done that because you know we don't talk about masturbation right. in, in a way that's not like you know for the sole intent of seeking pleasure. Right. It can be other things. And she said, ultimately, like, obviously she doesn't want, she doesn't expect, you know, <laughs> orgasm or masturbation to be like a replacement for pills. If someone has like a legitimate chemical imbalance, right. but you know, she was saying that like a lot of people on that are, are clinically depressed or, anxious whatever are on these pills and right. if we could find a way to reduce that that's natural then that could right. be helpful ultimately i think one of the ones she was looking at too is people who were just on like sleeping medication like they weren't depressed or anxious they just like needed the sleep aid kind of medications and like they were looking to see whether or not well if you just masturbate before yeah. you try to go to sleep maybe you won't need the you know the pain or the the sleep medication anymore. Um, and one of the things, like, she points out, like, all of these studies are very, like, relatively new since, like, the yeah. 1960s, 1970s, and even most of them really have happened, like, in the 2000s. Like, the, they just started in, in the late 1900s. And that's largely because, like, research is dependent upon having scientists who are willing to do the experiments. Right. And scientists throughout history have largely been men, largely been white men, and they largely don't see the female orgasm as something worthy of spending time and money and energy researching. Now, the male orgasm, they'll spend all kinds of money and energy (laughs) on that, but not the female one. So most of the studies, and and that just shows that there's 
probably so much that we don't know about it yet because we've been spend we've spent such a small amount of time and very limited studies like a study of a couple hundred people is a very limited study yeah. of of people you know there haven't been studies of like 40 or 50,000 women who masturbate like those studies don't exist but there are for men you know like men like erectile dysfunction studies there are huge studies that have been done on that right. but but not for women yet there's hope. <laughs> There's hope indeed. We're at least talking about it as a society now, whereas like even us having this conversation 50 years ago, like a man <laughs> and a woman sitting right. down and talking about masturbating would have been like such taboo. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, things are moving in the correct direction. <laughs> exactly. Um, they also, you know, take a little bit of time in this episode to talk about the legitimate like anatomy of everything, like the anatomy of the clitoris and like identifying different structures of of your vulva and vagina and all that stuff. And what's kind of interesting to me is that, like, I've seen videos of people who go out and, you know, to, like, you know, try to get guys to say where the clitoris is. Yes, like, point on, like, on an anatomically correct diagram. Can you identify where the clitoris is? And it's, you know, a lot of them can't. And it's kind of funny, too. Most of them. Yeah. Like, 98% of them can't. And it's kind of funny, too, with women, like, you know, because they were talking about, like, do you know what a vulva is? Do you know what this is? And, like, even a lot of the women didn't know, like, I'm sure they all knew where their clitoris was. But a lot of them didn't know where... Probably not all of them. You know, didn't even... They also didn't know all these labels for everything. Right. And it's kind of funny, because one of the researchers was making, like, a very big deal about like you know we call it a vagina but we need to call it a vulva right i was wondering from a vulva owning human being (laughs) i do own my vulva do you also feel like that's a crucial critical distinction to be made are you offended if people say (laughs) Uh, vagina versus vulva i'm not offended at all if somebody (laughs) says vagina versus vulva i feel like i've only recently started using like the term vulva and for listeners who don't know like vulva is just everything like, you know, from the top to bottom that you see on, yeah. on a woman's external genitalia, where the vagina is technically just the canal, like, where the, the penis would penetrate into the vagina, where the vulva encompasses all of the labia and the clitoris and the urethra, technically, yeah, everything on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I feel like, yeah, most people, when they say vagina, they mean they're, vul- they're talking about vulva. They're not just talking about the vaginal canal. Right. <laughs> but... I, I'm not offended by people not making that <laughs> distinction, though. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> it's kind of interesting to see. I'm yeah. just, I'm just happy if people want to talk about the vagina and the vulva. Period. Like. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, fair. Um, there was an interesting thing too. Well, I had mentioned like they talked about exercises of like looking at yourself in the mirror and every day like noticing or talking about one thing that you appreciate from your body and that way you like slowly begin to appreciate like yes. all of the things you have which i think is a good thing yeah and part of the explorations they also mentioned like you know it's okay to explore these like things and um one of them was talking about like using sex toys yes. um and got to the conversation of like butt plugs and stuff <laughs> and i like that the sex toy guru whose name i've forgotten was essentially like you know you you know, always try like the smaller one first because she says our eyes are always bigger than our buttholes. <laughs> uh, you don't want to stretch it out. She also said a very important thing, which was like, if you're gonna use a butt plug, you need to make sure it has a base. Yeah. Otherwise, your asshole's gonna eat it up. Yeah, that's I wrote down that quote. Like, <laughs> you want to have one with a substantial base. Otherwise, your butt's just gonna eat it. 
It's like, oh God. You don't want to get lost up in there. No, you don't want to lose your sex toys inside of yourself. Um, yeah. For, for vaginal sex toys, that's like basically impossible. I suppose you could have a very deep cervix in which like if you had a very short sex toy you might not be able to reach it but like that would be an anomaly most of the time you're going to be able to get them back out don't worry (laughs) (laughs) but i did enjoy that they did like quite a maybe like five seven minute segment in the documentary series talking about all the different types of sex toys that exist specifically for women they didn't go in there's they talked about butt plugs but beyond that they didn't really talk about many sex toys that would pertain to men as well like flashlights or things like that weren't in this episode, no. but they did talk about the plethora of different like vibrators and, and dildos and different options that exist for women, which is almost over. Like it is like, it's overwhelming to like think <laughs> about the amount of different options yeah. that are out there. And, and when it comes to like trying to pick one out as a woman for like the first time, just go with like the simplest basic option right. <laughs> i guess is my best like advice. you don't need to wrap it that's like, what you're saying yeah well, not to start with like yeah. if you don't don't go with something that you're going to be too intimidated sure. to even use you yeah. know just yeah. like pick something very basic something that's got a little bit of vibration to it and you know go from there <laughs> yeah i liked even that there was the one uh woman who who said that her mother like before she went to college she was like oh do God. i need to get you a vibrator <laughs> and i was like that's kind of sweet actually it like, is <laughs> yeah my mother i don't even think knew what a vibrator was when I went to college yeah. to have offered to buy me one. And she probably would have been mortified at the thought of me owning one. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've broadened her mind a little bit, you know, since then, but she still wouldn't sit down and have a conversation with me yeah. about sex toys. Fair. That's fair. But, but yeah. Um, one of the other, one thing that they didn't really talk about at all in the documentary series, but that is talked about in the book, Come mm-hmm. As You Are, extensively, extensively as far as, like, it's a reoccurring metaphor throughout the book. She'll, like, bring back up the idea. And that it's, like, that we each, like, to think of your life as a garden. Okay. And when you're born, or before you're born even, some people have already started to plant things in your garden. You know, they've planted different aspects of religion, of right. culture, of body shaming or body positivity. You know, all of these things when you are born in, and start to live in your garden have already been planted there for you. Right. And for much of your early adolescence and childhood, you still don't have a whole lot of say over which plants are being tended and what new plants are being added. But as you be start to grow and become, you know, kind of go through puberty and start to become more aware of your body and more aware of your own like ideas of spirituality and religion and culture, you get to start to choose which plants you want to keep, which sure. plants you might want to pull out and get rid of, what new plants you might want to introduce into your own garden. And for me, like I really liked that metaphor because probably because I'm a huge like outdoor freak <laughs> and like the idea of having a garden right. and not living in an apartment and living someplace where I can have an actual garden is yeah. hugely appealing to me. So I really enjoyed that metaphor of like picturing my, my entire life, not just my sexual life, but like my right. entire life is like this garden where all of these ideas are like I get to choose at this point as an adult what ideas I want to keep what ideas yeah. I want to get rid of and how I want to like tweak my own garden um, right so you know if that idea appeals to you you might really enjoy the book <laughs> yeah and I think I think that also is important because it kind of it touches on the whole shame aspect of everything and it's kind of like you know 
we are taught all of that stuff. Everything in society leads us to one thing. Like, you know, gender roles are all societally taught to us as we're growing up. You know, a simple reaction that a parent has to you can affect you for the rest of your life. Um, You know, and I like, I just think also, and obviously this is not attached to the female orgasm or (laughs) the women thing, which is the three episodes. But, um, you know, something like masculinity as well is very tied to it and like how people react to that. And so... I was watching this video the other day about how um, like this father had reacted very poorly to his his son and daughter had been playing and the daughter um, dressed the son up and so gave him like a makeover. So he had like makeup on and nail polish and like a dress. And he was just like outraged because that's not what men do. That's not masculine. And it's kind of like if you allow your children to just explore like there's no fault to that you know like what he considers masculine or like all that is just stuff that of course he's been raised with and taught and it's like you know at some point we just need to like break that down and be like what's what's gonna hurt anything if someone decides to do something that's considered masculine or feminine vice versa and they don't have the sex that attributes to that right nothing like the world's not gonna fall apart everyone's gonna be fine and i think that like if ever I become a parent, I would like to be able to make sure that as we're planting garden, the garden, <laughs> right. that you're very mindful of the things that you are planting, you know, and yes. try to like keep yourself in check in a way to be like, I was affected by all of this stuff or we as a whole um, were affected by the sort of problems, if you will, right. or like the faux pas that the previous generations thought um, they had to avoid, um, but we can be mindful moving forward. Right. Plant our garden. Yes, plant plant the correct <laughs> garden or, or a better garden for Try your child. And don't be offended if they don't choose to keep everything that you right. planted in it for them. Yeah, that's Let true. them change their garden as they see fit for their life. That's true. That's true. But yeah, so let's talk about but, the mind. Yes. <laughs> the mind. Mind, which at one point is described, like, was talking specifically about the actual organ of the brain as a three-pound squishy walnut. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that is accurate. <laughs> yeah. And so they talk a lot about uh, various things in this, like actual hormones. They talk about a lot of different stuff, but obviously... One of the main things or main takeaways from this that I found interesting was that they talk a lot about the difference in, like, access to pleasure for women of, of color versus white women. And they talk, they say something about, like, um, it's really more difficult to access pleasure as a non-cisgender, heterosexual, conventionally hot white woman, essentially. <laughs> and I was just like... I'm not sure that I understand exactly how accessing your pleasure is so different. Well, I don't. I don't know that like it's different physiologically. I think that they just meant that when you look at mainstream media and mainstream like pornography, it's yeah. attractive white heterosexual women who are having pleasure and they're they're allowed to experience that pleasure because they are also giving pleasure to a man. Right. And, and so is the assumption that if that's not you, you can't have pleasure? Kind of. Like, that you're being okay. taught that, like, if you don't look like her and you're not willing to do the thing, the things that she's willing to do, then you're not worthy or deserving of having pleasure. Okay. I think is kind of what the idea was that they were trying to communicate there. All right. But. Interesting. Yeah. Which, I mean, I feel like that's also true 
in many other ways for women of color that like the representation that they're seeing for all aspects right. of their life tends to be like white heterosexual women right, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. that there's a massive underrepresentation of people of color and people in the LGBTQ plus community in everything, not just yeah. in sexuality. <laughs> like they're just massively underrepresented everywhere and they have to like kind of piece together what is quote unquote normal based on the white experience. Gotcha. Okay. And that that needs to change. <laughs> okay. I guess as like someone who's never thought that, you know, being sexual necessarily was tied to like race and stuff. I was just kind of like, oh, I, yeah. I, I suppose. But uh, yeah, in terms of representation, for sure. I think that's but, what they meant. Anyways. Okay. Yeah. Because I was like, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't think that like the actual process of having an orgasm is any different right. for like people of other races um i mean it's different for every individual you know no one is going to have an orgasm in the same way there's no sure. like right or wrong way to get from being completely unaroused sitting on the couch <laughs> to you know having an orgasm like everybody is going to experience that process differently some people it's a, an easy step from point a to point b and some people there's a lot of things that have to happen in between sure. you know one and the other to to get them to get them there if you will yeah for sure <laughs> and there's no you know there's no wrong way about it don't feel like just because the woman in the video can have three orgasms in seven minutes it doesn't yeah. mean that you realistically should ever expect that to happen and if it takes you 30 or 45 minutes of fooling around and using toys and you know all of that stuff before you're able to have an orgasm there's absolutely nothing wrong with that right and I feel like especially like men in particular tend to at least through rep the representation that I've seen of the male orgasm they tend to be able to get there much faster than women yeah and I've seen more than once like the metaphor of men being like a microwave and women being like a crock pot or a slow cooker <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that like a lot it tends to take a lot longer for women to get there and I think that's one of the reasons that men are uninterested in the female orgasm is because they don't want to have to spend so much time getting women there because, like, for them, they don't need that much time. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, they don't want to have to spend all this time foreplaying just to get, get their woman there, if you will. Yeah. Um, and, then, like, that idea that, like, taking that long to orgasm is reinforced by doctors who are telling women that, like that they should be able to, you know, orgasm faster and, you know, different things like that. And in my experience, I found that, like, male doctors tend to be completely useless to women. Right. <laughs> as far as, like, sexuality goes. Like, just ask for a female doctor if you're a yeah. woman. <laughs> I mean, that's why I find it very interesting. I mean, they made a point, too, of saying that in, like, medical school training, only, like, 44% of the schools have an actual program focusing on, like, women's health specifically yeah, right which, which is, is like surprising. women make up 51 percent of the population right. but only 44 percent of doctors are being introduced to like the differences between man and male and female health <laughs> right which is kind of insane it is um yeah i i which I, is why i find it so strange that i mean no offense to like a male gynecologist but like i just don't understand i don't i don't get it yeah. like either i mean I guess if you're like an old man and you've been doing it for the last 50 years, you don't know anything else. But why are young men still going in to like medical school to for gynecology? Like that just shouldn't be happening. It shouldn't yeah. even be allowed in my opinion. Like you don't have a vagina. I don't feel like what is the, what is the like male equivalent? Do you guys have dick doctors? We do not. <laughs> 
well, like, it, what females, like, female doctors should not be telling men things about their dicks either. Like, if you don't have it and you can't experience, like, what it's like to have one, then you probably should just keep your opinions to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but, I don't know. Um, Maybe someone else could convince us otherwise, but... Feel free to reach out to us. Perhaps there are, you know, male doctors out there who have spent a lot of time listening to women about their experiences being women and having vaginas who would be able to provide, you know, some decent perspective on the situation. But I feel like most male gynecologists aren't interested in women's opinions about vaginas either. Right. (laughs) Well, and it's also not to say that, like, that means that all female gynecologists are going to be amazing either that's like, true many of them also don't want to listen to well, the actual concerns of other women that's also true very true yeah and then like yeah. and i imagine that only 44 percent of female doctors are being introduced to like classes specific you know specific to female health as well because right. if only 44 percent of med schools are offering that you know only 44 percent of doctors in total are getting that education so right. that's just problematic right <laughs> now Part of this episode, too, talked a lot about um, contraceptives, like the pill specifically. And at first it was interesting because, like, they talked about how amazing it was and how it was, like, you know, revolutionary. And one of the doctors was like, yeah, like, this is so great. It's the single best invention we've ever made. And, like, the next woman was talking about how, like, it's actually, like, she found for herself personally. Of course, this depends on everyone. Right. But that, like, it had been dulling her senses, like. Right. Over, like, I think she said she'd been on it for 12 years. Yeah, Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, And I I don't know if I can call you out on the podcast, but as someone who takes the pill, (laughs) um, does that make you concerned that you, that you too are, like, losing out in a way i don't think so (laughs) like i don't and she was talking even just about like her enjoyment of non-sexual things like cooking and stuff like that and that like when she went off the pill eventually i'm assuming she probably was like approaching menopause or whatever she'd been on it for 12 years and had two kids which she must have stopped briefly to have the kids yeah (laughs) but um like i don't feel like since starting oral contraceptive that i've lost any like desires to do things and i know like i feel like my experience on the pill has been very different from a lot of women because there are a lot of women who who report like a massive decrease in like sex drive and just like overall like mood and well-being uh, decreasing and and weight gain happening and you know like a lot of like negative side effects which is one of the reasons i was very leery of getting on it to begin with because you read all of these reviews of like how awful it can be and i'd spent a lot of time like researching what type of contraceptive I wanted to go on and they all you know there was horror stories attached to all of them basically right so I eventually just thought well the pill's the easiest one to stop you could just (laughs) 24 hours later you can be off of it kind of thing so I'm just gonna start with that one and see and the only thing like side effects I experienced were positive ones so I have no regrets. I don't feel like it's changed my mind yeah. in any way or dulled my senses or, you know, anything negative for me. And I, I do think that, that maybe that is an, an anomaly right. <laughs> that like a lot of women don't have that same experience. Um, but like, yeah, I guess that's okay. that's my answer. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, another thing in this episode that I found interesting was that they they talked about the aspect of like um and i think this was geared specifically towards people who have sort of illnesses or like handicaps that prevent them from feeling bodily pleasure 
but they said that like you know there there's this whole field trying to like teach people to experience pleasure just with their mind so that they could reintroduce pleasure into their life even if they can't be physically stimulated like if they're quadriplegic or something like that right um which i thought was very curious um and it's true that like you know and i think in general we kind of consider i think women to be more mindfully sexual yeah. in terms of like you know picturing the whole context apparently like <laughs> having sex on a rock or whatever she said <laughs> which but <laughs> seem pleasant to me still <laughs> but it was kind of an interesting concept to to think about like you know because there is such this tie typically seen between like pleasure and body yeah but not always that's true yeah and i feel like when people think about sexual pleasure they think about like stimulating your genitals and yeah. like and that like all or nearly all of the stimulation should occur on the genitals kind of thing. Yeah. But I think that and this, like tying it into like the idea of somebody who is maybe quadriplegic or even just paraplegic, that's waist down, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like the idea of like tickling, not tickling, but like gently yeah. caressing, you know, the skin of your partner, like arm or neck or back or someplace where they have sensation like that can be, you know, very pleasurable to them yeah. and and can I think what she was trying to say anyways is that over enough time can help to rewire the brain to like maybe even be able to experience an orgasm from just like this kind of touch if you don't have sensation in your genitals anymore. Um, which, yeah. which I think, um, sex ed, sex, sex education, the Netflix series kind of yeah. talked about that a little bit because the main character briefly is like interested in, in dating somebody who is paraplegic and she like, like is sitting on his lap and like touching his body and like asking where he can feel kind of thing. And she's yeah. like caressing him. So like yeah. that, that idea, you know? Yeah. I also liked the, um, they made a discussion too, speaking about slowly touching people and stuff. <laughs> But, like, also that, you know, to couple, for couples to do that outside of, like, sexual context as well, to just be, like, right. have a moment to experience that sort of, like, touch on skin, and in that way you get to know your partner's body, not necessarily a way that's going to provoke ultimately a sexual response, right. but, you know, just to have that caress, that, that, that touch that typically isn't like in a non-sexual contact right well and like the exercise that you're referring to that they were talking about was like doing it without the expectation of sex following up like just doing it with and and telling like between you and your partner like we are not going to have sex like this isn't going to lead to sex we were just going to lay down and kind of like gently caress each other in in a non-sexual way we're not going to stimulate genitals or anything like that just to kind of allow yourself to relax into the sensation of being touched by your partner um and apparently that was like very helpful for a lot of couples who were struggling with intimacy right so you know there's a good exercise for you indeed indeed. (laughs) (laughs) um i think one of the other main takeaways of course is that like despite the fact that we are taught otherwise or presented otherwise um what do they say? Something like uh, women are just as horny as men, <laughs> you know. So or or can be, yeah. Can be. And like, and men can be just as unhorny, if you will, yeah. as as women are perceived to be. Like, there is no typical right. sexual um, level, you know, right. sex drive. I guess is the word I'm yeah. looking for. You know, like there are men who have a very high sex drive, and there are women who have a very high sex drive, and there are men and women both who have very low sex drives yeah. as well, and everything in between. 
and all of those are okay and normal. Exactly. <laughs> and it's the it's society that tells us that this, you know, non-normal sex drive is bad and needs to be corrected somehow. And it's like it's not you're not broken, you just need to understand what your sex drive is yeah. and what your desire is and find a partner who's willing to work with you on that. Right. Which is an idea that's also explored much more extensively in the book, Come As You Are. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, I think that's mostly what I had written down for the Mind episode. Nice. Yeah, me too. Okay. So let's talk about relationships. There we go. And of course, you know, the idea of bringing a relationship into sexual pleasure. So essentially moving from just like solo masturbation into trying to have an orgasm with a partner always makes things more complicated and, but also hopefully ultimately more enjoyable and more pleasurable as well, you know, but there is going to be, especially like if you're someone who is, it has like experiences with sexual trauma in the past or just has a lot of, you know, negative self body imaging, you know, issues, you know, there, there can be a lot of things that make having a positive sexual experience with a partner very challenging right and i think that um our unwillingness or our inability to kind of like address and acknowledge the issues will always prevent you from healing from them so if you can't talk about what the problems are with your partner you're never going to be able to move past them yes communication is key yes Um, in every aspect of a relationship in every aspect of a relationship (laughs) in every aspect of life yes what is my what like the if you listen back to all of the podcasts we've done (laughs) (laughs) always talking about how these characters need to communicate yes that's Um, our biggest thing just communicate better exactly but uh well that that sums up relationships that pretty much sums up yeah (laughs) talk about it um yeah they they talk about like a number of different aspects of like you know talking about for example being open in terms of communicating but also talking about like your fetishes and like exploring stuff like that and and also how important consent is for you know and continuous consent and things like this which of course is an important point to be making right um, and, and like with that too they talk about how mainstream media oftentimes like tries to make it seem as though like obtaining consent is like not sexy like having right. that like in order to obtain consent you somehow have to like stop what you're doing and like desexualize the situation to like right. get consent. pull out a contract <laughs> right like get written permission or something and it's like well consent can be worked in in like very a very sexy kind of manner you know and they and the, she gives a few examples as well in the in the docuseries about like how that can happen and yeah. ways to approach it and the idea that like you don't have to make it be like this professional sit down discussion you know and and you have to also just be ready and willing to accept the answer being no as well (laughs) and not try to like coerce the other person into making it be yes because then you're not getting consent (laughs) right um and they they talked about as well i guess this is kind of like in the vein of consent but um and and i was talking about pornography as well they talked about how there was a lot of you know, usually like so-called straight porn <clears throat> is very male focused right and yes. so the women the woman there is usually or women i guess plural but whoever right. is usually just a prop to like appease the sexual desires of the man yes. in the in the film and so i what i thought was interesting is that they talked about a specific director i 
put Erica, though I don't know that's her first name, but Erica Lust or someone Lust <laughs> is a director who was making like women-centered indie porn essentially. Okay. Um, which I found to be interesting because like I know that you know in the past personally that's the thing that's really like made me shy like turn away from straight porn is because it just seems like very aggressive and like yes. the woman is not possibly getting pleasure despite how much she screams and <laughs> moans and right. all of these sort of things it's like so overly dramatic exactly yeah. so it's like you know it's like oh yeah if there is more sort of like i don't know conscientious right. <laughs> porn then maybe that's for the best too not only because well specifically because people watching it will then see that maybe this is more of a expected or some uh, uh, interaction that you should strive to have right and not that idea that you need to be like jackrabbiting someone to death right yeah maybe. for lack of a better term <laughs> jack <laughs> jackrabbiting do you mean jackhammering that too <laughs> Indeed, indeed. Yes. I do like they talked at the end of um the relationship episode, like this idea of mindfulness. Yeah. And the and like doing it individually and as a couple and it's sort of like the idea of meditation, right. but like just like being becoming very aware of your body through like using your breath, through using the the touch exercise as like with a couple and just be kind of becoming very aware of yourself and your mind right. and i don't know where i'm going with this train of thought but because i didn't actually write mindfulness <laughs> the only thing i wrote down in my notes was mindfulness yeah me <laughs> just too. the one word mindfulness <laughs> practice is what i said right but in like in the using it is a very powerful tool to like overcome any kind of walls you've put up around your sexuality either intentionally putting up those walls like for protection or having those walls kind of built up around you based on the way that you were raised you know becoming aware of those walls is the first step to removing those walls right is a better way of putting all of that <laughs> yeah exactly um and i yeah and i think this um I don't know if this quote was directly tied to... I don't remember what it was tied to, but it kind of <laughs> touches back on the garden thing. Um, so I'll just say it. Okay. And it's the woman who said, um, I'm planting trees that I won't see flower and grow, but planting those trees is giving me such immense pleasure. And so just kind of like also an idea of kind of mindfulness. And, you know, yeah, like you may not always see the immediate benefit of things. Right. But like by doing this or that, you are ultimately... Well, we're such a, a society that, like, has this expectation of immediate gratification. That, Correct. like, you're going to do something one day and, you know, the next day your problems are going to be fixed. You know, we kind of look at that, like, like weight loss, for example. Like, yeah. lose all your weight in 21 days and <laughs> yeah. have the body of your dreams kind of thing. And that, like, it can happen just you know, immediately or with a very small amount of effort to, like, get from where you are to where you want to be. But in reality, like the best changes are always going to take a long time to happen. Right. You know, like this whole idea that, that I'm really into of like slow progress and yeah. lasting progress. Hashtag. Like, yeah. Hashtag slow <laughs> progress is lasting progress. Um, <laughs> find me on Instagram that way. <laughs> um, but like that's, that's I've in my life and over, especially the last few years of like learning that 
if you want true change, deep, meaningful change, it's going to take time and you're not going to notice the change happening day to day or even week to week. You know, it's going to be something you're going to look back on month to month or year to year and you're going to see like, wow, okay, you know, there really has been an improvement, you know, from where I started to where I am now. But it's, yeah, our society teaches us that like, we should always expect immediate gratification or immediate results and changes, but that's just not the way any kind of lasting progress works. Right. Very true. But, um, yeah, the only other thing I had written down for this whole series was that I learned a new word, which was the combination of procrastination (laughs) and masturbation, which was procrasturbating. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I like that term. (laughs) We've all been there once or twice. (laughs) Is an enjoyable new word. <laughs> but yeah, so that is essentially the principles of pleasure. So our bodies, our mind, and our relationships. And uh, feel free to check out the book, Come yes. As You Are. Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. N-A-G-O-S-K-I, because I'm sure I'm, we're both pronouncing her name wrong, even though she said it in the documentary series. Yep. <laughs> we're both still pronouncing her name incorrectly but um go check out her book check out the documentary series and Mm. always remember that you are worthy of pleasure right and always remember our eyes are always bigger than our buttholes (laughs) (laughs) yes an important lesson (laughs) but yeah i guess we should actually sign off um (laughs) thanks for listening everyone if you if you'd like to contact us, feel free to reach out on Twitter at NNO Podcast. Or you can send us an email at navigatingnetflixoriginals at gmail.com. Alrighty, until next time. Bye! Bye. <laughs> oh, Lord. Go, Lord.